1: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 304. Today's episode is all about reclaiming the self, how a kidnapping exposed deep self-abandonment.
0: I think about that morning when I stood there and looked at myself in the mirror. I knew something was going to happen. I knew something was off. I knew I wasn't supposed to be leaving that house and getting in that car and going on that mission. And I I remember, oh man, just as clear as day. I remember the the dress I was wearing, I, looking at myself in the mirror. And I said out loud, Jess, do you want to do this? I knew the answer was no. But I was so afraid of what other people would think of me. I was afraid of looking like an, you know, a moron, a pathetic or, you know, paranoid, being a hysterical woman in the field and, you know, all the things and I took one last look at myself and I walked away. Like I, I abandoned myself in that moment. I walked away from myself and it was the most important decision I've ever made in my life.
1: Turn up your frequency with Mind Love, bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you ever catch yourself doubting your own judgment? Or maybe hiding parts of who you truly are, like your emotions or your beliefs or ideas, just to blend into the crowd or keep the peace. I'm talking about those moments when you shrink back, tuck your thoughts away, and become invisible, all to avoid ruffling someone else's feathers. Or the times that you minimize your feelings, making them feel insignificant just because you believe that maybe they don't matter, or it's just not you to make waves. This is the quiet curse of self-abandonment. It's the process of slowly stripping away your self-worth, neglecting your own needs, and forgetting that your voice too deserves to be heard. Self-abandonment is kind of tricky because often we do it without even realizing it, because we're so focused on everyone else that we don't even really notice ourselves, which is how the self-abandonment happens in the first place. But let me know if any of these resonate. You second guess your decisions, or you let others choose for you. You put other people first, often at your own expense. You're a perfectionist with sometimes unreachable goals. You criticize yourself when you fall short of your own, often unrealistic standards. You push down your feelings, or you avoid or numb the discomfort. You don't have a whole lot of personal boundaries. I have a thousand small stories of turning away from myself and a few really big ones where I ignored that inner voice only to be left feeling lost and more alone than ever. I can specifically remember a memory in college when I was crouched over a toilet purging my food for the fifth time that week thinking, this could become a bigger problem if I keep doing this. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear at the moment, so mute. Cut to a serious case of bulimia that consumed my life for the next 10 years. Or the time sitting waiting for my ex-boyfriend to pick me up, knowing that he was manipulating me, but also being so wrapped up and wanting to feel wanted that I ignored my knowing, only to end up in my darkest rock bottom thus far. I could go on, but I'm going to spare you. So why do we self-abandon in the first place? Usually it begins in childhood. Maybe the adults in your life didn't meet your needs very well, so you felt unloved or insignificant. Or you grew up in an unpredictable or chaotic environment, so you learned to hide your true self to avoid conflict or pain. So you learned to mute your feelings or disregard your needs and question your self-worth. And then, as an adult, you replayed these patterns from childhood. So you might have chosen friends or partners who treat you poorly because it's familiar. And without realizing it, you started to do the same to yourself. You became an expert in self-abandonment because it's what you learned growing up. Or maybe you were kidnapped by pirates in Somalia because you ignored your intuition. Too specific? (laughs) Well, we'll get there. It's wild. Whatever it stemmed from, it's a destructive pattern. And it's a survival tactic that causes us to turn off one of our deepest powers. So how do we reconnect with ourselves? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Jessica Buchanan. She's a teacher, a New York Times best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and a kidnapping survivor. She was named one of the 150 fearless women who shake the world by Newsweek. And she speaks professionally about her kidnapping experience and rescue by the SEAL team for audiences all over the world. Three key things we will learn are the difference between an option and a choice, how to recognize our own patterns of self-abandonment, and how to safeguard your mind from fear and even psychosis. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Jessica Buchanan to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I usually ask what inspired people's work, but you have one of the craziest stories I have ever heard of. So I feel like we should start there. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I think the crazy
0: story happened because of um, my inspiration for my work Uh, even though it was different then than it is now. um, I'm actually a teacher by profession. And so when I was finishing up my uh, teaching degree, uh, way like many lifetimes ago, um, I felt compelled. I got this like summer teaching position, teaching in like the back country somewhere in Honduras and got bit by like the travel bug and that really got into my blood. And so When I was looking for student teaching opportunities and looking around at all the like public schools outside of Philadelphia where I was going to college, it just didn't really like, um, scratch that itch that I had for adventure and to do something a little bit more, um, purpose driven, I think. And so, I found a school in Nairobi, Kenya, that would take me on. And I did my student teaching there and then they offered me a position. And so I took it and I started teaching at an international school in Nairobi. Um, And then I met my husband a couple of months later while I was out with some teachers uh, dancing one Saturday night, and that was about 15 years ago. And so it really, meeting my husband, Eric, um, who's from Sweden, is how I ended up in Somalia. Uh, he was based there and, um, working for a non-governmental organization. And so, um, yeah, I, we got married about a year and a half after we met and that's how I ended up in Somalia. So, uh, that then led me on this journey of, trying to figure out what to do with my life and my job because I wasn't teaching anymore. Um, but I got a job uh, with an NGO, a Danish NGO, the uh, Danish uh, demining group, which was the mine action unit of the Danish refugee council as their education advisor. And I was in charge of their East and, uh, East Africa portfolio and traveled all over East Africa managing their education programs until um, October of 2011 when everything changed
1: so tell us what changed because I I posted on social media I got like five different people where can I read about this story and I know that it's just so far removed from from people's lives and and so tell us how you were kidnapped by pirates
0: I know it is it's weird. Um, it's not something
1: I ever thought I was gonna
0: uh experience or have to talk about, but um in at that time and in that part of the world, um maybe some of your audience remember the Captain Phillips movie. Oh, Tom Hanks, I think, was starred in that. And um it was def- it was like a ship that had been overtaken by pirates in the Indian Ocean. Well, that was kind of the area that I was working in. Um and after that particular situation, and I believe he was, they were held for like four days on their ship and um, SEAL team. I'm not sure which SEAL team actually came in and rescued them, um, but they were rescued by military intervention. And um, there were all of these, uh, there were several, I guess I should say, uh, ships or yachts that had been overtaken uh, by pirates in the Indian Ocean, and um, I, after that Captain Phillips situation, the piracy started moving from the water onto land, and so um, aid workers started becoming more of the target. A couple of Spanish girls were taken uh, out of a refugee camp that they were working in, in uh, eastern, like northeastern Kenya, and that happened like a couple of weeks before my incident, Um, And I think it was just like happening in real time. So we didn't really know uh, that it was quite that serious of a security threat. Um, But I had gone to uh, the southern part of Somalia to check on an office that we had in a project that we uh, were running down there. And I was training the staff and my uh, counterpart, an older Danish gentleman named Paul, and um, was in charge of that group. And I had canceled the training twice before cause I didn't feel, I didn't feel good about it. You know, I had this like gut feeling that something was off and I called him up a couple of days before I was supposed to go down there and said, Hey, you know, I just don't feel good about this. And he basically was like, well, if you don't come down here and get your job done, then we'll find somebody else who will. <sighs> so I felt, you know, backed into a corner And in that part of the world and in that kind of work, you know, you do have to kind of measure your personal security and safety with your paranoia. And um, I, at that time in my life, was very much playing the part of letting other people make decisions for me. And so I ignored my intuition and I got on a plane. I went down there. And so um, that would have been like the end of October, October 25th, 2011. I was on my third day of training and I was particularly worried about that day because we had to actually leave the office that we were staying in and working in. And I knew from other like security trainings that I had participated in that usually if you're in transit, like that's when you're most vulnerable. Um, And so uh, we made it to the Southern office, did our training, finished up around three o'clock in the afternoon, a convoy of three armed vehicles comes to pick us up, armed guards in the front, armed guards in the back. And then Paul and I get into the middle vehicle and we have a, a Somali guy who's driving. And then our Somali security advisor for the organization, a man named Abdurizak gets in the back next to me we drive through the gates of the compound and um, for about 10 minutes, we're driving through the town of Gaucayo. and, you know, I'm not really paying attention. I'm just thinking about, you know, like stupid stuff that you think about when you're done with work, right? Like <laughs> what am I going to have for dinner? And oh, I can't I get my workout in before, di- you know, stupid stuff. And um, then this car comes like another land cruiser comes uh, rushing like roaring around the right side and cuts us off and splashes mud up all over the windows and the windshield of our vehicle. And I can't see out the windows anymore. And I remember looking up saying out loud, what a jerk, who drives like that? And then I can hear all of this shouting and there's a crack of the butt of an AK-47 on the car hood. And then I knew something was really wrong. And um, Abdou Resak's door is pulled open. And uh there's a, a guy, a really angry looking guy wearing a police uniform, um, standing there and he has an AK-47 and he pulls Abdegrizak out, climbs in, puts the gun to my head, and starts screaming at the driver to drive. Um and that really just became like um this slide into I feel like it's like in a whole other dimension, you know, like we drove for hours um, and we kept stopping and changing personnel and we drove some more and we would stop and more people, you know, would get in the car, we'd be forced into other vehicles. And then, I mean, we did this for hours. And then at some point in the middle of the night, they forced us out of the vehicle and ordered us to walk out into the desert. And I thought, I believe that we were going to be executed, um, And so it it was like a death, for me, it felt like a death march. Um, But we, we walked out into the middle of the desert and we're surrounded by all of these armed men. And then they just tell us to go to sleep. They want us to just like lay down in the dirt and go to sleep. And um, it's really interesting how your body and your mind want to protect you. You know, it knows that you are not safe. Um, but it it shut down and I just like completely passed out and, and fell asleep in the dirt.
1: We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline Or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams... risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinkelmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. And so then you were actually held captive for 93 days until mm-hmm. the president at the time ordered you, like, ordered your rescue to the Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. What was that time like and what was going on in your mind?
0: Well, it was very long, uh, you know, 93 days. I mean, in retrospect, is not a long time to be held hostage. And um, these things can take like years to resolve typically. um, A military intervention is not a normal way to resolve something like this. It's usually going to be a ransom. Um, the, I was taken for a ransom. That was the only reason we were taken. Um, And they demanded $45 million uh, at the very beginning, which is like, you know, impossible. Um and I think, you know, I experienced every emotion there is to experience in the human experience um within those 93 days I have never felt hope the way I have felt it in that time I've never felt um despair I think the way I have felt it I uh I have never felt so much rage um in my life as I did in there in moments when um you know we were trying to Negotiate on our own behalf, trying to reason with these guys. They were some of them were just crazy. Some of them were, um, most of them were stoned. Uh, they were high on pot, which is this plant that they chew. Um, they're traumatized and uh, they are not able, you can't reason with them, you can't even talk to them. Um, uh, you know, I was starved, I lost 40 pounds in the 93 days that I was. Um, out there, uh, and I was hit a lot. I was not, you know. I, people will say to me, "Well, did they treat you badly?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, they treated me badly. Like they were pirates who <laughs> wanted forty five million dollars. <laughs> like yeah, they were not nice to me." Um, I slept on the ground uh, every night. Like we 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 were outside the entire ninety three days. We were never taken into a house or a shelter. Uh, or even anything temporary, like a tent or a tarp. Uh, We sat or laid under trees or bushes for 12 hours during the day, and then we slept out in the open on mats um, at night. Um, It was really, really difficult. Uh, It was physically, I think, probably one of the hardest things I've had to go through. I, I don't know. I'm trying to, like judge that against childbirth but um you know because it it just went on and on and on um I, I think mentally of course spiritually emotionally all of it like it it stretched me to the brink of insanity in in some moments and I think it was really important for me to try to Hold on to my mind. I I was really aware and very scared. Um, I think that was probably the thing that I was most afraid of out out of everything, other than dying. Um, I was afraid I was going to lose my mind, and so I took great care and great intention, uh, to safeguard uh, my mind as much as I could and. Um, You know, I think it's interesting now, like looking back and talking about it so much and reflecting on it um, and really digging into some of the things that I did to guard myself and keep my mind safe. And I think they're just natural, like human reactions. Um, And you'll find like, if you read survivor stories, like a lot of people do the same things. It's really interesting how we're wired. And, but for me, I tend to like have a a inclination towards the spiritual. And so um, I like to, you know, probably over philosophize things. Um, But uh, I woke up probably like halfway through the captivity and realized that I had, I was actually being presented with an incredible opportunity um, because I had all this time that I would never have again in my life. Uh, if I survived. And so I did this, like this memory kind of um, activity, if you will, where I went back through my life and did like a, a life review. And I really believe that because of that, I was able to uh, deal with some things that I have been putting off. Um, and I think I always say that I it was like the time where I actually met myself Mm. Um, because there was nothing there. There was no, there were no distractions. And there was nothing but just empty space. And um, I think that I have come to understand that, you know, those moments, sometimes they feel like they're going to go on forever. Those are really opportunities for us to meet ourselves who we really really are, what we're really made of and the limits at which we are capable of going to. Um so yeah, I think it was a it was an interesting time, that's for sure.
1: I can only imagine. I did just give birth. So you're relating it to childbirth of which was more physically Mm -hmm. strenuous. I guess I can relate to it's so (laughs) different. But it's interesting because my first birth lasted like 70 hours and I ended up having to transfer from a birth center to a hospital. And that's all I had to to reference for Mm -hmm. my second birth. And my second birth was also kind of dramatic. The biggest storm of in the history of my town, rolled in on my due date. I was planning mm-hmm. a home birth. And, and long story short, we ended up having to leave the mountain for 12 days, came back, baby was super late. But then I went into labor and it was so painful. I just remember thinking, this is, this has to be more painful than my last birth. Mm-hmm. It just can't last as long as before. And I started to like sort of lose it a little bit. I was really mm-hmm. second guessing my decision because. I was like, I cannot do this for days. And then I realized how much faster it was going. It only ended up lasting three hours of active labor, thank God, but my point is is that it reminds me of Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*, where it's mm-hmm. that ser- seeking the meaning of something that really helps you to survive something. Mm-hmm. And with childbirth, I think that's the difference: is that it's already got its meaning for the most part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, once I realized it wasn't going to last days, that's when my adrenaline kicked in, and it was so much more manageable than the time I was swimming in my own mind like how long is this going to last and Mm -hmm. i can only imagine you having no idea when this is going to end or how it's going to end or if it's going to end would be traumatic on its own (laughs) and so i'm curious though tell me about when you were rescued what was that period of time like because now clearly you have found meaning in this and you have used it to bring out hope and inspire other people and, and really reflect, like you said, you did with your life experiences while you were there, but how long did it take you to really unravel that and, and create this personal mission from it?
0: Mm. So interesting. Cause I was, um, I had a client, uh, session this morning and, and she's like two years into her recovery or healing journey, let's say, um, and experiencing deep grief, deep loss. Um, and, and, you know, it's like that old adage, you can't compare, um, your beginning to someone else's like ending kind of, um, and, you know, that was what she was asking me, like, well, how long, you know, how long did it take you to get, to this point, like, basically, how long is it going to take me, you know, to where I can get to where you're at? And I'm like, oh, it's never over. Like, this is my journey. Um, Once you hit one mountaintop, and you summit that, and you put your flag on the top, and you feel like you conquered something, you look over and you are like, shoot, there's a whole other mountain range I'm going to have to climb. Um, But what happens is, you know, and I love the the mountain metaphor. You say you live on a mountain. I I feel like my healing has definitely been precipitated by long, long hikes on the Appalachian Trail with my my dad and my family. Um, and is why I called my my book, my second book, Deserts to Mountain Tops. But like you get stronger, right? You know, you get um more clear. Uh you every with every mountain you climb, you are able to learn something new about yourself and and you get tired and but you learn how important rest is and how much you need in terms of rehabilitation and rejuvenation and repair and and so the next mountain that you are going to be faced with because this is life this is what it's about it's not ever smooth sailing um it's about continuing to trust that the universe is going to you know help you along your way. And, and so I don't think, I don't think it's over for over yet. You know, I just, I think I'm just going to keep hiking my way to whatever is next and I'll just keep, keep working at the healing thing because there's always something you peel one layer and then there's something else, you know? Um, I mean, I kind of chuckle sometimes I say, I have more trauma than just the kidnapping. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I've taken the last <laughs> 10, 10 years to try to heal and figure this thing out. But um, there's lots more, there's lots more to uncover there. Um so does I answer
1: your question? Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to get an insight into your mind. And, and I totally relate, because I, I've gone through my own trauma, and I have the big story of my life. Mm-hmm. But in this given moment, I'm living a whole different story, you know, Mm -hmm. like, there's other things that maybe if I said them out loud, wouldn't seem like such a big deal, but feel like a big deal while I'm Mm -hmm. dealing with it. There are other things where it feels like a big deal because of what I've gone through in the past. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's like life is always reflecting back to me a different reflection of where I am and, and what is next to work on. So the journey mm-hmm. is never over despite what it looks like or yeah. despite how a pretty bow is tied on, you know, a completed yeah. book or, <laughs> or a, yep. a, a keynote talk or whatever it is. I was recently mm-hmm. interviewing Cheryl Strayed and she was saying the same thing where uh, I and I loved this this aspect because a lot of my trauma was from really poor decisions that I made mm-hmm. and and really realizing like, yes, I was victimized in certain situations, but this version of me, this version of Melissa would also never get herself into a lot of those different situations. And so yes, I was victimized, but also I put myself in a lot of situations that made it more likely that I would be. And so, yeah. And there have been times where I've looked back on my life with, regret for some of those decisions mm-hmm. even knowing what i know and even knowing how it created the person i am i'm like really i had to learn that hard of a way yeah and i related yeah. to when you said in your book how you took the scenic route I'm like mm-hmm. yeah I, mine is a lot of scenery that i did not want to see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I, that resonates <laughs>
0: For sure, for I'm sure. Like- but you've learned them, right? Like yes. The, I I don't know. Sometimes there's some of us that need to be. I always say, you know, the universe took me out into the desert to shake me up, to wake me up to my life. Um, and in in a sense, it was a very loving act. Uh, because I learned how to be inextricable inextricably connected, uh, to my gut and to my intuition. And if, if I hadn't gone through that experience, I would still be making decisions. I think that, um, would be for others.
1: Yeah. And, and I love the theme through your work about self-abandonment mm-hmm. because there's something about that term where, you know, I've, I've taught about intuition, how to connect to it, what it looks like when you don't. Mm. But the idea that not listening to our intuition is a form of self abandonment, Mm -hmm. for some reason that hits a little bit deeper because it it really shows the stakes of of what there is to lose versus even what there is to gain if you are not abandoning yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, I mean, I think about that morning when I stood there and looked at myself in the mirror, I knew something was going to happen. I knew something was off. I knew I wasn't supposed to be leaving that house and getting in that car and going on that, that, um, that mission. And I, I remember, oh man, just as clear as day. I remember the, the dress I was wearing, I, looking at myself in the mirror. And I said out loud, Jess, do you want to do this? I knew the answer was no, but I was so afraid of what other people would think of me. I was afraid of looking like an you know, a moron, a pathetic or, you know, paranoid, um, you know, being a hysterical woman in the field and, you know, all the things. And, and I took one last look at myself and I walked away. Like I, I abandoned myself in that moment. I walked away from myself and it was the most important decision I've ever made in my life because it changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, I'm just so fortunate to be, to be here and to be alive, um, and to have gotten to learn that lesson, because I mean, I could have died over and over and over again.
1: When we're pushing towards a career path or, or trying to make a name for ourselves, so often we hear to, you know, push through through our fear or to not let fear stop us. How do you differentiate between pushing through that fear so that you can basically? make a bigger life for yourself or or do greater things than you thought were possible versus the intuitive fear or the intuitive thought of, maybe this isn't a good idea. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning how do you differentiate between pushing through that fear so that you can basically make a bigger life for yourself or or do greater things than you thought were possible versus the intuitive fear or the intuitive thought of maybe this isn't a good idea
0: mm. i was recently introduced to this i um i guess you could call it a concept of, is it, a, is it an, in my intuition? Is it an intuitive thought or is it an intrusive thought? And I had never really contemplated the difference between those two things, um, but I've been really reflecting on that. And I think for me, the difference comes into um, clarity. If it's an intrusive thought, then it's going to be cloaked in shame and unworthiness. Um, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. Um, it's based on what other people are thinking about disappointing other people. Um, it's very other, like, and not in the good way, others oriented, but when it comes to like intuition, um, I feel like that pushing through, um, is comes down to like self-belief, Right and 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 embracing and accepting our own worthiness around something. I I didn't at that point in my life. I I didn't have the connection to myself, and I didn't have the self love developed within myself to just stand up. You know, I've learned now that if you don't stand up for yourself, you've already lost them because you think you're going to lose something. You've already lost something anyway. Um.
1: So it seems like the the kind of female empowered push through would have been the standing up for yourself, <laughs> I, which I sadly know what that feels like, where I always joke that when I'm getting massages, for some reason, I have like the inability to like, say, go harder or softer. Like I don't want to hurt their feelings and tell them they're not doing it perfectly. So I just sit there. And then the whole time my mind is just like, just tell her to go a little harder. It's not that big of a deal. Or (laughs) I talk to them
0: and, or I like make eye contact and then they start talking to me and telling me about their lives. And then the whole massage, I'm like, oh my God, I just want to take a nap. (laughs) So yeah, I hear, I hear you.
1: (laughs) And so when you realized like that was where I went wrong, that's what I should have been listening Mm -hmm. to was that voice from that day forward. Was that connection just more innate or was it something that you had to develop? Oh no, we
0: had to repair our relationship. Myself, myself and I, we sure did. Um, I think, you know, when I got out and I was able to get like back on my feet, there was a bit of a fear uh, that maybe I had broken my intuition or something, you know, like that it didn't work anymore. Um, And so I had to practice, like you have to practice listening to your intuition. You have to, that is something that yes, we're born with and it's innate, but culture and society tries to stamp that out of us. And so we have to relearn that um, especially as women. And so um, that, for me, has looked like a lot of silence. You cannot hear your own heart if there's so much distraction and there's so much otherness and there's so much busyness um all around. Like I learned that in the desert because I spent all this time in silence to the point where I thought I was going to go insane, but I've gotten now like really used to that and crave it. And of course I don't spend 12 hours in silence anymore. Sometimes I wish I still got the chance to do that, but (laughs) this is not my life. Um, but I, I think you have to, um, practice and get really clear on what is in alignment with you you know, and, and what you want. And I still get it wrong sometimes, you know, um, but I am like coming to realization quick, more quickly than I used to. Um, and, and just, you know, it gets easier to say, hey, uh, I'd like a little more pressure on, when on when you're, you know, working on my back, when you're getting a massage every time you do it, you know, like with anything, it it, it just takes practice.
1: I actually do practice that. I have mm-hmm. a massage. I have a massage tomorrow. And I was standing in the mirror yesterday and I'm like, just this is how you're going to say it. You know, I learned I learned that it becomes much easier to say no when you actually mm-hmm. practice your little yes. wor- <laughs> phrasings yeah. of how you're going to do it. And then it becomes a neural pathway that you can default yes. to. Yep. And so it sounds so silly. But those little things that I have a hard time saying as small as they are. <laughs> I I have to practice in the mirror or figure out a word choice or figure out the energy I'm going to hold while I have that. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you think when you do the small things that it gets easier to do
0: the hard things?
1: Yes. Yes, it does. And, and I don't even realize that I've leveled myself up until a hard thing comes up. And I'm like, oh, I breezed through that a lot easier than mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. have in the past. But I've also learned that with my intuition, because I did the same thing. I spent so many years cutting off my voice, cutting off Mm. my body. I was bulimic for 10 years. Mm. I got myself into a lot of uh, horrible situations with bad people. And, Mm. and I came to the same conclusion as you where I was living my life based on what other people thought I was deciding what was success was what cool was how I wanted Mm -hmm. to look even Mm -hmm. based on what I heard what my feedback was (laughs) generally Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and that started to change when I yeah it was the same thing when I found myself isolated and not by choice it was more that I had ruined my life enough (laughs) that I had to move and start over and (laughs) and it was those those times of solitude because I've used the analogy before where like say you were dating someone new and every time you got together you just went to the movies and then he dropped you off at home you could date the person for three years and never really know anything about him. And I think that so many people, so many of us do that same things with our, the same thing with ourselves where mm-hmm. we think, well, of course I know me. But how many of us have said, oh, this person knows me better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Are you not taking the time to reflect on your own patterns so you don't even know why or what or what you like, what you don't mm-hmm. like? And and I found myself in that spot. And so it's like I needed to have dialogue with me. I needed to ask myself questions and let the answer arise because the default answer that was going to arise was going to be based on everybody else rather than uh-huh. myself yeah yep
0: i totally that totally resonates and it's when we are brought down to our knees right or you know like we find ourselves in a desert that is when it's like okay well it's time to it's time to get to know this girl and um help her along if we want
1: to survive so tell me about how you safeguarded your mind while you were in that time um you, you talked about sort of reflecting on your life. What did that look like? Well,
0: I mean, I got really organized and I got really detailed and I started, I made a work plan for myself. And so I decided that every day I was going to take one year or maybe it could go into two days, but I was going to go back as far as I could remember um, and like remember everything that had ever happened to me in my life like the good, the bad, you know, the beautiful things, the ugly things, all of it. Um, and I had lost my mom a year before this and I'd lost her very suddenly and and tragically. And so I was like really in the throes of my own grief still. And um, I had actually been thinking about ironically after this trip, when I w- I was planning when I got back to let my organization know that I was gonna take a sabbatical. I was gonna take a couple of months off. And I don't know, I was like in my early 30s. So I thought, you know, I'll go to India and sit in an ashram somewhere and like just gut it out, right? I was like meditate and yoga and cry and you know, intermittently eat some vegetarian food and and just move through my grief. And I woke up one morning like forty five or fifty days into captivity. So it took me a while to like for my nervous system, I think, to regulate enough so that I could actually like come up with some ideas and some solutions. But I I was really into yoga at the time and I had moved my mat from the field where I was sleeping to under the tree that I was going to spend the next twelve under twelve hours under. And I was like doing my yoga stretches and I was sitting cross-legged under this tree and I leaned back against it and I had this this enlightenment really this moment of realization and I thought didn't the Buddha reach enlightenment while he was sitting under a tree and didn't Jesus like wander the desert for 40 days and 40 nights like grappling with decision like really important decisions and I kept thinking of like all of the religions that I had ever studied or heard about and how there was always this moment, right? Like where they were in a place of self sacrifice or like their, their felt needs were not being met Um, and they were struggling. They were wrestling with themselves. And, and so I decided um, that I had a choice because that's a really big thing for me is the difference between options and a choice. Like I didn't have many options. I like had zero options um, in terms of what to do in in while I'm was sitting, you know, I didn't I couldn't go anywhere. But um I had a choice as to what I could think about. And so that's when I decided to do this life review. And like, you know, for example, when I was four. One of my first memories is of my mom taking me to the movie theater for the first time, and um, she was wearing a blue sundress with little white flowers, and her son was or her skin was all sun tanned, and I remember the freckles on her arms and the shape of her teeth when she laughed, and we went to go see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and you know, on and on, like just these memories, like of my childhood kept pouring out of me and like some really hard stuff. And then I got to like weeks went by where I was just like in it, you know, I would go sit under this tree and I would just go back to my life and, and, and I was like reliving it. It was like extraordinary. Like I get chills just talking about it now. It was like the most extraordinary, almost transcendental experience, um, and when I couldn't remember anything else, then I started making plans for the future. I started thinking about what did I really, really want? You know, is this the job that I really wanted to go back to if I get out of here? <laughs> An organization that doesn't protect me um, and 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 pressures me into going into a place that doesn't feel safe. What do I really want to do with my life? What really matters to me? And it's a it's an opportunity to get really honest with yourself because there is nothing else at stake all you have is is your own honesty and your own feelings about things um and it was really quite extraordinary um and i think i've carried that i've tried to i'm not saying you know, I nail it every day, but, um, I do think a lot about the fact that I have a choice as to how I'm going to think about things and how I'm going to frame the things that are happening to me in my day-to-day life, whether I'm stuck in traffic, um, or I've spilled coffee all over myself, or I didn't get that speaking event that I thought I was going to get, or the client didn't sign, whatever. Um, it has, led me down this path of real, um, I guess like power, like taking my power back because I do believe that I have complete control over what I'm thinking about and my mind. And if I could figure out how to do that, being held hostage with guns to my head, then surely I can do it sitting here at my desk in the suburbs of DC.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. right yeah i i have thought about <laughs> just how interesting it is that so many of the almost spiritual modalities like the ways that people transcend mm-hmm. are are very similar to like things that people would never choose for themselves like like Mm -hmm. fasting (laughs) like you talk about fasting to somebody who's being starved and it looks batshit crazy you know Mm -hmm. and and then that solitude that you talked about i've i've thought about that how people that are in solitary confinement are likely Mm -hmm. to lose their minds but that's also people go on darkness retreats and you talked about jesus and buddha it's that solitude Mm -hmm. where they there's another path to go Mm -hmm. down and so what's it like to choose that and how many times are we creating the prison in our own minds yes. based on a situation versus the path of hope which mm-hmm. in your situation was a very extreme example of that but we do it so often in these little things where i mean i do it to myself all the time where all of a sudden i'm like ah, i i want a bigger house or yeah. Or I don't know if it's the right time to buy and then this. And then all of a sudden I feel trapped in, like I have no options. And it's like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You have a great life. What did you yeah. just create right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it clearly wasn't the the highlight
0: real. <laughs> like, Right, right, right. It was just all a projection of like, what? I don't know what things that we're afraid of. Like, sure, I could have sat there under that tree and thought about all the different ways they were going to kill me, but that was not going to serve me in any way. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, I wasn't in denial. I mean, trust me, I was very aware that I was surrounded by men who wanted to hurt me with guns, but I had to go somewhere else in my mind in order to keep it. And my, I I w I didn't, my body wasn't free, but my mind was, it was, it, it, I was in charge of it. And I think that like, we kind of have to look at our minds that way as st- we're stewards of it. Like we have to protect our minds. Um we are we have autonomy uh you know over what we let into it. Um and and that is you know easier said than done for sure. And again, I want to like be clear that I do not feel like I have this mastered. Um but I have had moments where I have seen that play out in my life. Um, and then that would parlay into gratitude, of course, Um, you know, it, it, I've, everybody talks about gratitude, but it's so true, you know, and, and I, when I felt really, really low, I would reach, 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 reach for something, reach for a higher thought, reach for something to be grateful for. Sometimes it was real pathetic. Like, I'm really glad my toenail didn't fall off today. You know, I mean, just something, but I, I, I made myself find something to be grateful for. And I still do that now. Like when I'm starting to feel my vibration drop and get really low about something, I'm like, Nope, Nope. Okay. Let's find something to be grateful for. You know, I'm grateful for my health, Ah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. I'm grateful for my health. Well, you know what? Tomorrow I might wake up and not feel healthy. And then I'm sure going to wish I was grateful for my health the day before. Right. And um, so I, I do, I just think that we we do create our own reality and our own experience no matter where we're
1: at so now with everything that you've learned and your relationship with your intuition now how do you how do you determine the things that you really want versus maybe a different kind of story that you're telling yourself because i know for me i even get overwhelmed with The options that I have and it takes me a while Mm -hmm. to be like no this is what I really want because I can create a dream scenario for almost anything (laughs) and it it kind of it kind of comes back to that well I've seen this other person be successful and happy in this I've seen this and it's like yeah but where is what's lighting my fire what is it that gets me in my own unique way how do you how do you decipher that
0: I think it's about what makes me feel good you know, our feelings are information, right? I think really, really important information. And really, all I want is to feel good. I, all I want is to feel free. Um, what are the things that bring me that feeling? I don't know, that changes. Um. And I think it's different for everybody, but you, you know, you're asking me about me, so I can only speak for me. Um, When I feel genuinely grateful for everything I have. Um, when I feel at ease and, and then flow, when I'm not worried or anxious about what's next in my business or, um, how I'm going to pay that bill or, um, uh, you know, whatever I that's, that to me is like, that's the stuff. Like, that's where I want to be residing all the time. Um, and i'm i'm learning so much about just like surrendering that outcome um still you know i i feel like i got a lot of really clear direction and lesson during the captivity um and if ever there was like a visualization or a manifestation that came true it would be the rescue um because i couldn't have even planned that out uh, that was just miraculous really um but I use that, I guess, as a baseline, too, to th- say, like, well, if that could happen, then sure, so could all the other things, right? Um, And I think we all have some sort of baseline like that in our lives if we look for
1: it. Yeah, and instead so often we are looking for the things that went wrong. We are remembering the things that went wrong. We're letting that create our vision for the future. Yeah. It's, I we, think we
0: look for proof that it's not going to work out.
1: Yes. But
0: how about we start looking for proof the, when it did?
1: Yeah. Focusing I Focusing on that. I have a goal setting, a spiritual goal setting masterclass in my membership and that was probably the biggest step that I did when I actually started reaching my goals versus talking myself out of them for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I really believed, I was like, I, I think I wasted all my willpower on high school and college because I felt like <laughs> I could not accomplish a big goal. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. well, wait actually, what did I have in high school and college that I don't have now? I'm not creating a structure for myself. I'm not watching. There's not a healthy competition with a bunch of people around me. I'm not like constantly checking my grades and seeing how I'm succeeding or whatever it was. And, Mm -hmm. and a big step for me was, was sitting there and writing down all of my accomplishments, all of the proof that I could do something big. Mm -hmm. And when I started to write, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to write. I, I didn't have that belief of myself. And by the time Mm -hmm. I was done, I'm like, how did I, all of these things not come top of mind immediately? I know Mm -hmm. these things. I lived these things. And at the end of just that exercise, I was, I, all of a sudden my goal was going to happen and I knew it was going to happen and it did happen. (laughs) And so just taking the time to choose which of our memories are top of mind Mm -hmm. can make such a big difference on what we're willing to do in our next step. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think that's amazing. Um, you know, I, I mean, I fought, I do the same things, right? Like, um, I have goals, you know, professional goals that I'm really focused on and, and, um, when they, and they feel very far away and, and I'm, our mind wants to you know, cause it wants to keep us safe. Right. And, and it's, it wants to stay comfortable and it wants to stay in what it knows. And my mind anyway, knows, um, you know, that, Oh, I shouldn't try to, you know, level up or try try to, you know, move to that next thing because it feels too scary. And so it's always looking for proof of, of failure. Um, when in fact I have a lot of proof that I'm not a failure, I mean, I, you know, and, and I think it took me a while to like understand that, but I remember actually it was like a social thing where I was subjected to some mean girl stuff in adulthood, which I like seriously didn't know that that was still a thing. And, um, and I, <laughs> and I remember I was driving home by myself I was feeling really bad. And I just looked in the rear view mirror and I looked myself again in the, like in the eyes and I was like, you know, you're Jessica, you know, insert whatever expletive you want buchanan and you stood up to dozens of pirates with guns like you are going to you can stand up to a few suburban mean moms like come (laughs) on you know so um i think yeah like you need to go back, I love the making the list thing, you know, to, to, if you need proof, go sit down and make a list of what a badass you are, because I guarantee you, you've got at least 20 things.
1: <laughs> Just comparing the suburban moms to Somali pirates. It's like... I mean, it, it's real. That
0: battle's real. I know, I know you got your audience out there gets that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how somebody could be the mean girl mom that's mean to the person who was once kidnapped by pirates (laughs) like like, really hasn't she gone through enough (laughs) I mean you know haven't we all
0: we're just all scared right we're scared we we're all you know I think a lot of us are operating out of fear and and then it's amazing to be able to have conversations like this because it's like oh there's another way right and we don't have to we don't have to be so afraid
1: Well, I love to leave listeners with an action item to kind of focus on for this week to bring some of what we've learned in this interview grounded into the reality. If you were to give them one practice that just helps them be less likely to self-abandon or increase their Mm -hmm. intuition, what would that practice be?
0: So well, I'm not popular when I say this, but I feel like this is a game changer in my life personally and professionally. It's get up early, get up earlier before your kiddos or, you know, whatever, um, get up with some intention and, and, and create a ceremony first thing in the morning, honor, honor the universe that you woke up for another day, honor yourself Um, that you got up and, and I have a very sacred start that I, I protect and, and do every morning without fail. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's composed of all kinds of different practices, journaling, meditating, visualizing affirmations, pulling my tarot cards, all the things, but, you know, um, if you don't have a morning practice, just start by getting up uh, 15 minutes before you normally do and, and sitting Uh, with your cup of coffee and just set one intention about how you want your day to go
1: I am religious about my morning practice Mm -hmm. I've kept it through having two children Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I know when people are like but how do I do this with kids I know it's Mm -hmm. harder but even when I'm sleep deprived that morning start sets the tone for my whole day and so the the difference of being sleep deprived and even just an extra 15 minutes versus being sleep deprived and then waking up to chaos yeah (laughs) it's just waking up
0: in chaos yeah yeah I just can't even imagine like yeah because I did that with my littles too now they're they get big very fast just FYI um but yeah I think that Oh my gosh. It's just, it's life changing. If you want to change your life, get up early. So it's that, it's that, it's that easy and also very hard, but, um, it's so worth it. So worth it.
1: Well, for listeners that are resonating with this conversation and want to learn more about your story and the stories you've compiled with other women, where's the best place they can connect and tell us about your books. Oh, thanks. Um, so I have two websites. I have just
0: Um, and then deserts to mountaintops.com. Um, we curate, I have a publishing company, so uh, I only represent women who are writing memoir manifestos. Uh, They've been through something, now they know something, and now they want to teach us something. Um, And so what we specialize in, actually, is curating anthologies. Um, And so we are just starting our uh, second anthology this week, Um, Deserts to Mountaintops, uh, Choosing Our Healing Through Radical Self-Acceptance. And we'll be working with about 17 or 18 uh, co-authors who are writing on that theme. Um, and then in January, we had our first anthology came, uh, come out, Deserts to Mountaintops, our collective journey to reclaiming our voice, 25 women's stories of how they have journeyed from the desert of self-abandonment to the mountaintop of self-love. And the stories are um, really beautiful. Uh, they're very profound and they're very diverse. They're as different as the authors are from each other. And um, it just feels like really meaningful storytelling, very healing, offers a chance for transformation, I believe. And I'm very
1: proud of it. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com 304. Your challenge for this week is to just listen to your inner voice. Set your intention to have your mind aware of the inner voice at all times. Really listen for it. And keep in mind, until we build that relationship, we might not hear it just speaking to us. So sit in stillness and ask yourself questions. Allow the answers to rise as though you trust that you actually have those answers inside of you. Trust the wisdom that comes up. This is how you start to build your relationship with your inner voice. This is how you start to actually build the strength of your inner voice so that it pops up more often. That inner voice is our built-in guidance system. It always has our highest good in mind. So this week, just get in touch with it and let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Don't forget about the Mind Love membership at mindlove.com membership. There are over a dozen masterclasses. There's meditations. This month's meditation is amazing. I've already gotten a ton of feedback on how powerful this yoga nidra for deep sleep is. So I'm really excited to share all that's in store at mindlove.com membership. You can find my sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week.